0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. We're glad you're journeying with us, and we hope that you find value from the teachings. If you'd like to connect or support
1: the mission of Grace and Peace Church, check us out at graceandpeacechurch.org or find us on Instagram or Facebook. Grace and Peace. Good morning. Nice seeing everybody. Letty, John, nice having everybody back from vacation travels. Good to see you. So yeah, let's jump right in. Uh, Nate mentioned we're in chapter 12. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 12 today. It's kind of echoey, huh? Uh, but as we see, that it begins right off with the word then. So as usual, then requires context. So I want to set it up for us. So we're now carrying on from chapter 11, Jesus has been traveling around, he's been in the company of disciples, some chief priests, some scribes, elders, just a general crowd of people, and they've all been gathered in the temple area in Jerusalem. And then the word then appears. And it links the present situation to some preceding series of events. And there's kind of a list of events to remember. So first, Jesus had recently entered Jerusalem. He predicted his arrest, his demise, but he entered the city anyway. Something like a king. And he's met by the crowd and the crowd's all shouting out, Hosanna, save us, son of David. Second, Jesus made his way to the temple, his father's house. And there he flipped over those money-changing tables. He condemned this practice of buying and selling offerings, specifically doves. And with that, Jesus forcibly upended this, like a transaction system of gaining access to the inner temple areas and to the rites of forgiveness. And those had been meant for the masses. And then next, Jesus just cursed a tree to death for failure to produce fruit in its time. And then finally, Jesus refused to engage with some Pharisees in their attempt to unmask Jesus as something less than Israel's true Messiah. Well, after that, then Jesus returned to this practice of teaching by use of parable. And that means teaching which truly hearing people could perceive some deep truths. While well, the merely listening people were kind of treated to a story. So here's what Mark recorded. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him and sent him away empty handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you heard this? this haven't you heard read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him, Jesus, because they knew he had spoken the parable against them, but they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Now, we know that this section is a parable because we're just told that as fact. Because we know that, we also know that there's a surface story here, and there's subtext, truth below the surface. So let's start at the surface. Just what is the basic story that's being told here? What could everybody in that group have known? They would have picked out the context vineyard. They would have understood the characters, the landlord, servant, sons, tenants. They would have understood and heard that really specific outcome. There was disobedience, a violent rejection, death of the son, displacement, and then some new work being done. So how does that cross as a surface story well for one thing i would say it's not great for little ones not at bedtime certainly like no joke right like as parents or teachers can i just say that you you really need to pick and choose like don't just crack a bible and drop a bunch of words on someone without context, without considering the meaning, without considering the people, without finding the truth and translating its message. And that's exactly the work that we're gonna do today. So this story isn't PG, but it's not a bad cautionary tale maybe about absentee landowning or trust, or maybe with hindsight like feudalism capitalism. It's definitely not a story that ends well for anyone at the surface. Servants are beaten, insulted, killed. The tenants who are meant to be caretakers, they're unfaithful in their task, they become murderous. We learn that their demise is imminent. A much loved son, seized upon, killed. And that landowner, the father, He's experienced absolute betrayal and extreme loss. He's compelled to destroy the ones that he first chose to be his own and then divert his wealth, this promise of inheritance to people that were not at first his own. And maybe it does end well for them but we actually don't know that so far in the story. So now, I, I have no way of knowing what the actual conversations might have been about the, between the people that were just standing around, that were just listening to the story and not questioning anything. But I can imagine someone hears the story of the vineyard and they just say, see, you just can't trust it," And that's their takeaway. Or someone else hearing the story and saying, and that's why I don't take vacation and leave my vineyard to the farmers. So those are some possible responses. But was that the point? Was Jesus in the business of telling landowners how to manage their fields? No? And yes? Like yes, but indirectly maybe? This is a parable, remember. And so while that first group does hear something banal and practical... And maybe they go away just thinking about business practices. Those who are following Jesus closely and listening through the lens of his ways and his mission, they're hearing a message that's crafted for their spiritual selves. So what's being said to them? What is that deep stuff? That's what we... Well, I think that that truth is in the parables. So let's work this out. The vineyard is the whole of creation, earth, right? The rightful kingdom of God. And maybe you noticed in the listening that everything in the story, from the means of production, like that wine press that was dug out, the protection of the vineyard, the wall that was set up, all of that was provided in advance by the rightful owner. All of that points to how grace precedes the work to be done by the tenants and it supports them. And that mirrors that relationship between creation and humanity. So the vineyard is created and it belongs to the Lord God. And it's rented to his tenants who are... And Israel, we know, was called together and purposed. They entered into a land agreement with God collectively and freely. God said this to Israel... Now, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession out of all the nations, for the whole earth is mine, and unto me you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And he later added, I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations. And he stated their purpose. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So this beautiful beginning chapter of human existence which included creation and peoplehood and caretaking and mutuality. But then this tragic shift followed and that's the key to the story here. Israel was meant to be a good work, a good and faithful tenant. Or to use another metaphor, the nation was grown and tended to be a well-rooted and faithful tree into which the whole world might be grafted, unified, and preserved as part of a cherished whole. But promises to Israel were dependent on their faithfulness. And the story we just read at any level speaks of betrayal and unfaithfulness. Israel's name was written by God on the deed of the earth. Every promise of God was their inheritance, but their occupation of his vineyard was contingent on their obedience to the task of being faithful to him, a light that shone in the darkness and lit the way to the Lord. Israel was unfaithful in that task. Throughout its history, Israel rejected the message of God brought through the prophets. Prophets were rejected, persecuted, seized upon, insulted, just like the messengers in the parable. I'll give an example. John the baptizer, the last prophet of the Old Testament. He declared to Israel that the kingdom of heaven had come to earth in the person of Jesus, the light of the world. And John was killed, just like one of the servants in the story. Of course, the ultimate rejection of God was Israel's refusal to receive Jesus as Messiah and their participation in his death, the beloved son of God, the father's son, the landowner's son. So these parallels, they're not really hidden, right? They're not obscure. Like even the priests, the elders, the scribes, all of them recognize themselves in the story. They knew that they were being called out as those unfaithful tenants. Remember we read, The chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest Jesus because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. So the priests understood that subtext, but it did not move them to repentance altogether. They just continued to plot and act against Jesus the Son. And so then the vineyard, intended to be possessed by God's faithful representatives, was taken from the unfaithful ones and handed to those who followed faithfully. And what was the true message in that bit? That was prophecy. The temple in Jerusalem would be torn down, figuratively and literally, and the body of Christ would be rebuilt in three days upon the ruins of that old work. And the faithful, once again, would be called heirs of his kingdom, the new tenants of the expanded vineyard. Now, to be clear, that shakeup was not a matter of ethnicity or religion. The earliest Christ followers were Jewish, Jesus was Jewish. This was not a swap of preferences. The shakeup was more like, like a reboot. What followed was just a reiteration of that same task of God's people to be light to the world. And the update included this broadening of the definition of God's people to include. All who were faithful to him in Christ. Those who were first called the light to the nations did not recognize Christ, the incarnational light of the world. I am the light of the world, said Jesus. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. And to whoever followed him, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And to those lights, those Fully incorporated followers those new tenants of Christ's field Peter said this you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation God's own people in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light that should sound really familiar to them and to us now so now we've named these parallels so I want to look at what's shared between the layers of the parable and consider what all of it might mean to us. Actually, yeah, hang on a second. I heard something just nutty on a podcast this week, and I think it's just like worth a sidebar, so go with me. We're just all here. We're just trying to understand what Jesus was saying and implying, Right. I think we're being faithful to what the story meant in the first century, we're not trying to make it say something that it couldn't possibly have meant given the context. And I can tell you that the parallels that we're talking about are pretty commonly theologically understood. So this podcast host was talking about President Eisenhower and the field of atomic energy. So the setting for them is the 1950s. The US is coming up with ways to apply nuclear explosives to industry and to construction, like level a mountain with an atomic bomb kind of stuff and then make a highway. And then they were just like, I don't know what's gonna happen with the radiation. But that was like their big idea. (laughs) They called this whole thing project plowshares. So, Eisenhower gets up in front of America and he gives a speech called Atoms, A-T-O-M-S, Atoms for Peace, and to market that concept to Americans, like barely post World War II, so keep that in mind, the President gets up and he quotes the prophet Isaiah. God shall judge between the nations and shall decide for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Can I just get what he did there? Like the parallel that he's drawing from scripture was between the A-bomb as swords and atomic explosives as spears. And I'm just gonna go out on a limb and say, I don't think Isaiah was saying that. <laughs> I don't think the prophet was like making space in Shalom or with like Ike's idea of atoms for peace that included a nuclear arsenal, like as a side project. And I know that might seem unrelated, but the point is this. If you're reading scripture, quoting it, there like is a way to get it wrong. So my advice is just like don't let anyone get it twisted. Don't let anyone just like slap a homemade God sticker on something and call it truth. So with that in mind, let's keep working on our story. We were talking about outcome. So the outcome at each layer of this parable, it's precipitated by disobedience, culminating in violence and death. As a direct result of their actions, tenant groups are ousted and replaced by others, hopefully more faithful than their predecessors. And those new groups are tasked with carrying on the same ongoing work of the Father. No change there. But did they do it? According to the deep parable, did the new tenants after Christ act faithfully in his mission? Were they good? Were they light? Were they Christ-like? There's one concrete standard in this piece of text for the attitude and behavior that's expected of the new tenants, for all the people of Christ who represent him as his body, the church, and that's this. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Christ is the cornerstone of the church the foundation, the guideline for all followers for all time. Likeness to and alignment with him are paramount to participation in him, to tenancy in his vineyard. Come to him, wrote Peter a living stone though rejected by mortals yet chosen and precious in God's sight and like living stones let yourselves be built into a spiritual house and to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ for it stands in scripture see i am laying a stone in zion sorry laying in zion a stone a cornerstone chosen and precious and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame Now, I'm making this point again, but I want us to see here that Peter is not neglecting the people of Israel. He's using their own history, the words of Isaiah again, in fact, to call them back to their promise. Them and anyone else who's really listening and compelled by what they've seen, by what they've heard. And we can use his short list as a litmus test to evaluate whether or not the new tenants were ultimately faithful. So we need to ask, were they one? Were they holy? Were their ways acceptable? And we can ask that about the ancient tenants. We can make inferences. But more to the point, let me ask this. How's it going For the kingdom's present tenants, If you're sitting here as a believer. As a Christ follower. You are part of God's current tenant association. Like a holy HOA. And our mission extends from Israel. From the early church. You all, we all, are now the light of the world. So let me ask this. How's your shining going? Are we a bright beam? Are we bearing fruit on God's great tree? Are we a useful stone in the gospel house of God? Are we good and faithful tenants? Now I'm going to invite Matt up. The parable doesn't tell us the end of the story. It only points to it. We don't know in that text how the new workers did. We only know that unfaithful tenants are thrown out and they're replaced. I also really don't know how most of you are doing. I know I need to check on how I'm doing and we all together need to reflect on how we're doing as a community. More broadly, we need to ask whether the whole church in the world is holding up its end of the bargain, its agreement to represent Jesus like Jesus. This is a group effort, everybody. Very little in scripture is about individuals. I mean, check yourself. You definitely matter. Your part matters. Be like Jesus and all that. But this is bigger than all of us. So, for the sake of others, for this massive Jesus H.O.A., I want to ask us to do something before coffee and before we leave. Matt's going to play, and I'm just going to ask that you like let the song wash over you and work in you. And in that time, can we please just take a section? Consider our light, our fruit, our usefulness our faithfulness? Are there places that we need to better align with the cornerstone? How can we be better tenants? So think on that for a minute. Please stay and tell someone. And then let's go into our week remembering this. Once you were darkness, but now in the Lord, you are light. Live as children of the light. Let's all of us, together, live as children of the light. All right?
0: And you can have my yes, with no exception. I'm laying down my rights to second guessing. And you can have my yes I'm giving you my fear Of never knowing Whatever's coming next I know you've got me You can have my yes You're the lamp, you're the light, you're the cloud that guides me. You're the way, you're the truth, you're the light inside me. Conquered all my fears, leave it all behind. Run into the light. I'm giving you my dream. is my prize and my provision I'll enter when you ask who could come against if you're before me Cause even in the fire I trust you've got me I'm giving cloud that guides me you're the way you're the truth you're the life inside me you conquered all my fears I leave it all behind I'm running for the light you're the lamp you're the light you're the cloud that guides me you're the way you're the truth you're the life church. Well, if you'd like to just stay and continue reflecting, um, you're invited to do that. Um, stick around, grab some coffee, and discuss if, uh, if you feel prompted. Otherwise, have a wonderful week in worship. We're dismissed. <laughs> oh, our, uh, our benediction. <laughs> Let me just read that over us. Rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. With the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, guiding and protecting us, share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of each day. Amen. Now you're dismissed.